Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, we are back in a cold Baltimore after a warm San Diego. Not like we got to experience much of San Diego. Walked outside for a total of about 30 seconds each day. As uh, Mark Zuckerman, who covers the Nationals for MassInSports.com, says the winter meetings could be held on the moon and we wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, the inside of the hotel was nice. It was a nice temperature in there. Don't know what the temperature outside was. Couldn't we were never going to find out. I walked outside sometime Wednesday and said, you know, this place is palm trees. Can you the only it? time I got outside was the first day we were there because mm-hmm. my sleep schedule was so off. I woke up at like 4 a.m. I was just like, well, I'm awake. And then I just kind of walked outside for like an hour or two, and I was good to go. That's a rookie mistake, though, because you were going to be working until like 9.30. It was. And you got to work the bar. But I I don't think I could have went back to sleep after being up at 4 a.m. That's just like how my clock works. That's okay. Like once I'm awake, I'm just awake. For a man who doesn't uh, drink coffee, too. I know. But like once I'm up, I'm up. I may not be joyful. (laughs) I may not have a lot of energy. That's certainly Not a lot of chutzpah. Uh, but I'm up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's described you as somebody with chutzpah. I would yeah. hope not, <laughs> unless I got transported back to a very silly year where uh, people started using chutzpah a lot me more often. an example of a silly year. I don't know, 1971? 1971 was Feels, a silly year? It felt silly. Probably a lot, of, a lot of stuff happened in that year. Probably some silly stuff happening. Sure. People might have used chutzpah. I don't know when that was popular. <laughs> My dad was I'm a just saying stuff now. Junior in co- in high school. There you go. I don't know. All right. Uh, uh, we got a lot to talk about here on this podcast, Brendan. We are going to uh, go through the remaining free agents and decide who is the best fit of those guys out there and who could the Orioles realistically get at this point with the market seemingly drying up on all fronts. Catcher, catcher is still fine. Don't worry. The Orioles yeah. will probably have their pick of a backup catcher. So we take a look at the free agency bracket and an update, and it has seen better days. It's not good. Let me tell you, it has uh, been decimated, especially in the middle infield region, the big bat region, and boy, that starting pitching region looks awfully uh, depleted. I'm going to hold not putting Noah Syndergaard on this bracket over your head if Noah Syndergaard is the choice. I wanted to put him on this bracket. Let the record show. I wouldn't have had him wa- winning, but Brendan, I w- he would have been on there. Are you really taking a, a bow after you nope, put Joey this Wendell? Is terrible. After you put Joey Wendell on the MLB. bracket. MLB.com lied to me. Who is not a free agent. I can't trust MLB.com anymore. Yeah. In my defense, I have seen... You use that correctly. <laughs> yeah, because you've corrected me on it. In, you usually either say, in public or on a podcast, you have corrected my grammar like usually, seventeen times. It's and it's you're gonna more get syntax. <laughs> usually, you say it. You say in fairness, but you're being fair to yourself. So exactly. In my defense, yeah, I'm saying be fair to me. This okay. is this is what yeah. I'm saying. Okay. Uh, anyway, shut up. In your so, defense, in my defense, <laughs> mob.com lied to me, and if you look at other outlets. 
like uh, Talking Baseball posted a graphic the other day with best second baseman remaining. One of them was Joey Wendell. And then everyone went, hey, he's still on the market. So everybody is making this mistake. So, and I blame MLB.com. A couple podcasts ago, you said you weren't going to call out the outlet. I am. <laughs> You've changed your I mind. I can and I will because uh, you keep bringing it up. Yeah, I do. Uh, well, I only brought it up because he brought up Noah Syndergaard, who is not in our free agency bracket. If you're not watching this, you're probably very confused, uh, in which case you should be watching on YouTube and on Facebook every Wednesday live at 11 a.m. or listening to it after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, all those good places where you can give us five stars a like. Please give us a thumbs up. Yeah, the catcher region, Brendan, pristine. I mean, you got Kirk Casale, you got Tucker Barnhart, you got... Omar Narvaez, Robinson Chirinos, Austin, all those guys are still out there. Nailed that part. However, <laughs> the other areas of the bracket, we have seen a lot of guys go off the board in the last couple days. I feel like teams took the weekend after they got back from winter meetings. They collected their thoughts, and then they picked up the phones again on Monday and started dialing. And they saw Sean Manaya sign a two-year deal with uh, the Giants, two years, $25 million. They saw Chris Bassett sign a big deal with the Toronto Blue Jays, three years, $63 million. Saw Ross Stripling sign a deal very similar to that of Sean Mania, two years, $25 million, although I think it includes an opt-out after the first year. Three starting pitchers off the board, and then this morning, Brendan, we woke up to the Carlos Correa to the San Francisco Giants news. Yeah, well, look, the Correa contract, that's absurd. The Orioles were not going to give Carlos Correa 13 years with no opt-outs. For $350 million. And the Giants basically just went, well, we didn't get Aaron Judge, so we got to do something. It was in the budget, <laughs> so let's get somebody. They were going to allocate it somehow. Yeah, right. If it wasn't going to be Correa, Donovan Solano was going to get two, $350 million. Donovan Solano, welcome to the big bucks. Yeah, yeah, so the Correa contract, not surprising, but not surprising. Well, it's not surprising that the Orioles didn't yes. offer that kind of deal, yeah. is what I meant. It, it's surprising that he got 13 years no <laughs> opt-outs, because that is a deal that you give to, like, a 22-year-old, and then a, you have him until he's 35. Yeah. I mean, when Fernando Tatis Jr. signed his 14-year deal, right. we were saying, that's too long, and he was 21 at the time? Yeah, it's it makes sense if you give it to, like, a Tatis or a Julio Rodriguez. My only thinking for this these ridiculous years. I mean, we saw Trey Turner get 11 years. We saw Xander Bogarts get 11 years. We have now seen Correa get 13 years. Is that baseball GMs have some kind of insider knowledge that the world is going to end in 2027. Somebody has given, tipped them off to the fact that the icebergs are going to melt by that point. So they just say, well, who cares? We're all going to be dead at this point. Because to give a shortstop that much money until he is 41 years old. Yeah. Like the Phillies are doing, like the Padres are doing, and now the Giants are doing, flies in the face of everything that we have learned about the aging curve in baseball. Well, I'll say two things about it. First thing is that if you win a World Series in the first like five, six years of that contract when he's probably still very good, then the next bunch of years don't really matter. If you get a World Series, it's a good contract. If he is a big reason why you win. So... I agree with that. However, there are only so many teams who can win, and we just I just named three teams who are going all in. Yep. So only a few, one or two of those teams are going to win, if they are, if it's not the Yankees or another team that's going to win in that time period. But also, 
that's just so many years on the back end to swallow. Even if it you is. do, if you if the Padres win their championship next year, and they have Xander Bogarts, who is awesome next year, and then you have all of those back, that's so many years of a downturn. But I mean, you never know. I mean, he could be good until he's thirty-eight. Even if he's not a good shortstop, he could be a good third baseman, and Maybe. then you have like two or three years of a bad contract. It the, all these teams are just banking on these guys to maintain some level of athleticism. Right. I mean, odds are by 38, they're probably going to have to beat DHs. Well, and then the second point I was going to make too. And then you have them for three years. <laughs> once one guy signs one of these contracts, once you saw Bryce Harper sign for 37 years, yeah, the, all the other players who are going to be free agents just go, oh, that's cool. I want that. Yeah. And they're very good players, and the demand for them is incredibly high throughout baseball. Everybody wanted Carlos Correa on their team. So you have to be the team that steps up and says, yeah, we'll give you 10, 11, 12, in this case, 13 years because that's the offer that's going to win if you want Carlos Correa on your baseball team. It really only takes two teams, in some cases one team, to create a market. And I think last night we saw the Correa to the Mets rumor come out at well, that's a the, funny or it time. just creates Scott Boris going, ooh, there's a mystery team, and yeah. then they're not actually being a mystery team just to drive the price up. Just to drive the price up. And all it takes is one team getting involved in the bidding, and these teams are skewing the market. <laughs> I think this is one of the more ridiculous markets that we've seen ever, just in terms of years and dollar amounts being handed out to veterans. It, I remember a few years ago, teams saying, we're not going to... Sp- pay anybody who's 30 or older and now we're seeing these contracts go into guys's 40s and maybe everybody was encouraged by albert pujols's resurgent season last year with the cardinals but teams are awfully confident that they can either win in the short term and have their fan base just be okay with those years on the back end or that these guys are going to somehow miraculously stay somewhat productive into their late 30s and maybe it's neither of those things and teams are just kind of adjusting to the market yeah. because if you want to get Carlos Correa, then you need to give him 13 years. Right. So it's either you give him a contract that is too lengthy and maybe you have to eat some bad years at the end of the deal or you don't get him at all. Yeah. So if you're a team like the Giants that's trying to contend for a playoff spot, hopefully trying to make a World Series push here over the next few years, which one is better? Is it better to have a few bad years of a contract in 10 years or is it better to not have Carlos Correa at all (laughs) they're probably opting for the first one yeah I think of the Andrew Friedman quote with the Dodgers that if you are always rational about every free agent you'll finish third on every free agent and that's what we're seeing these deals for the most part aren't rational I think we've seen a couple rational deals I think of the Mike Zanino deal that he signed yesterday the catcher for one year six million that's a rational deal I think you could say the Ross Stripling deal to the Giants yesterday. Two years, 25 mil. Yeah, maybe a slight overpay considering his career history, but that's on the free agent market, that's usually the going rate for a guy who's a proven starter slash reliever. Yeah, I'd argue all three of the pitchers that we're going to talk about here, like you mentioned, are pretty rational deals. I think Sean Manaya being the first one, he gets two years for $25 million. I think you could say it's a slight overpay given the numbers that he put up last year. He had a 3.91 ERA in almost 10 Ks per nine in 2021, but then last year goes to a 4.96 ERA in 30 games. But again, the underlying numbers suggested that Manaya was better than that 4.96 ERA. His expected ERA was down at a 4.05. His FIP was down below four at a 3.96. 
And in his previous six seasons, he had a 386 ERA. So I think Sean Manaya, as a left-handed pitcher, would have made sense in Baltimore. We've argued on this podcast that he would have made sense in Baltimore with the left field wall being pushed back, right-handed power numbers not being as good at home. I think Manaya at two for 25 is a pretty solid rate. Yeah, considering the the ages of the seasons that you're getting. And I think one guy that we're going to talk about in a bit, Noah Syndergaard, fits in a similar category of somebody who has a proven track record, hasn't been phenomenal the last couple of years, but is right around that 30-31 mark as well. I think he'll probably command a similar type salary. So, you know, the Orioles not getting Sean Mania, not backbreaking, not getting Chris Bassett for three years, $63 million not back-breaking, not getting Ross Stripling, not back-breaking. But at some point, they have to do something. At some point, you have to get one of these guys. It's not yeah. the individual guys that we're you know, losing our minds over, but it's at, at some point, they may have put themselves in a slightly difficult position because now there are only so many guys left, and you wonder if there are enough desperate teams that those remaining guys can hold out for a little bit more money. Yeah, on their own, I'm not terribly disappointed that the Orioles didn't get Sean Mania. Yeah. I'm not really sad that they didn't get Ross Stripling. I mean, same thing with Chris Bassett. I mean, he's a very good pitcher, and it would have been fun for the Orioles to bring him on. I think every time one of these contracts has been signed with those three guys especially, you kind of just go, man, that's not a terrible deal. And it seems like it was a deal that could have been Within the Orioles' range of outcomes here, as we've talked about throughout the offseason, we knew they weren't going to be in on a DeGrom or a Verlander or probably a Carlos Rodon, but these second tier of pitchers, second and third tier with Manaya and Stripling and Chris Bassett probably being in that second tier, that was a realistic window for the yeah. Orioles to look at. And when you're looking at that pool of guys, there's only what, like two left in free right. agency. And I saw a comment from Vivek on YouTube saying he didn't think the Orioles thought that the free agent market would pan out this way. And frankly, I don't know how many teams knew this kind of splurge was coming from all of these teams, from the Padres, the Mets, the Phillies. But the problem is, at some point, you have to adjust. You can't just go into every offseason and say, Chris Bassett, we're not handing him a deal larger than $50 million, and then you stick to that. And we're saying, oh, we're not going to hand Sean Mania a deal larger than $20 million, and we're sticking to that. I get having an end point, and I've preached on previous podcasts about, you know, being able to walk away and 13 years for $350 million for Carlos Correa, maybe they should have had an end point. Maybe the Giants should have been able to walk away from the table when it reaches a certain silly number. However... When the market is telling you this is the going rate for guys, you do have to adjust and you do have to say, maybe our projections heading into this winter were a little low. And if it's going to have to take this amount of money to get Chris Bassett, this amount of money to get Manaya, we may have to adjust how much our budget, how much we were willing to allocate for these kind of positions. That's not to say the Orioles won't yet do that, and we're going to run down the list of guys who are still out there, and there are still guys that would make sense for the Orioles that you could pay a significant dollar amount to. However, being able to adjust to a changing market, I think, is an important part of 
any front office's job. Yeah, absolutely. And we entered this offseason saying that the Orioles have a real opportunity here to upgrade the starting pitching rotation. And I think there were plenty of pitchers that have been signed so far that would have done that. With Manaya Bassett, and Stripling specifically, I don't know if they would have been your number one guy. I mean, Bassett, probably your opening day starter. Not sure on Manaya and Stripling. But they certainly would have been your number two or your number three. And nothing against Kyle Gibson, but he probably best profiles as a number four or a number five. And I understand the, the want to play things a little bit safe here if you're Mike Elias. Because you have quality young players on the big league roster. You don't want to block playing time for anybody. You don't want to have bad contracts that hurt you two or three years down the line when you are closer to saying, hey, maybe we're making a World Series push rather than just a playoff push. You don't want to have a bad contract on the books there. But that issue doesn't really present itself when you're looking at two or three year deals, especially if they aren't for $20 million a year and up. So I understand trying to play it a little bit safe, not wanting to, again, have those bad contracts that could hamper you three or four years down the line, but you can't play it so safe that you're just not getting anybody. Right. I will say it is not fair to judge a team's offseason until the offseason is complete. Right. It's it's mid-December. There's still plenty of time. The Orioles could still sign one of the guys that we're talking about. They could still make a trade. They could still make a significant upgrade to this pitching rotation. And I think people right now are impatient, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Orioles should rush into any kind of deal. And if they do end the offseason by getting one of these guys, I think then all of our consternation was not for nothing, but... You know, it could look silly in the long term. Uh, Let's talk about some of the guys who are still out there, Brendan. And we talked about some of the guys in the free agency bracket as well. We're going to introduce some new names who probably we haven't given enough pub to on this podcast. We're going to run down those that list. Let's start with Carlos Rodon. Not happening. Nope. Let's move on. (laughs) It's it's just not going to happen. Unfortunately, he wants seven years reportedly. Rockabaco is reported on MassInSports.com a million times. It's not happening. Mike Elias has pretty much indicated they're not going to do a contract of that length, and you're not going to pay someone until he's 37 this offseason. Just not going to happen. He's going to command seven years somewhere in the range of 200 to $250 million. Yeah, more than likely. It's going to be a lot. All right, Nathan Avaldi was on our free agency bracket, Brendan. One of the top uh, second-tier pitchers still out there. 33 years old, pitched for the Red Sox last year, 387 ERA. Now, Spotrack, that website, am I saying that right? Is it Spotrack? 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 Spotrack. Sure. Uh, Spotrack. They project, take it for what it's worth. Spotrack. I think you're adding vowels in there that don't exist. Nope. They're, they project that Avaldi is going to be worth about $16.7 million average annual value in free agency. Is that somebody, Brendan, that still interests you at that price point? Yeah, absolutely. I think he could be your opening day starter. He's been consistently pretty good over the last three years. He was an all-star in 2021, had an American League leading FIP at 279. His ERA wasn't great, but he was, I believe, top five in Cy Young voting that year. He's a good pitcher, and I think entering his age 33 season, maybe you're not giving him a four-year deal, up until he reaches his age 37 season, 
but you could give Evaldi a two or three year contract, maybe a three year deal with an opt out after two and be pretty comfortable with that. Do you think he would try to get three guaranteed years? We just saw Chris Bassett, who's what, a year older, 34, get and has been a better pitcher, granted. But do you think Evaldi would try to get a contract that would take him through his age 37 season? He could. I wouldn't be mad about it. If you have Evaldi under contract as an age 36 pitcher, I'm not saying he's going to age as gracefully as everybody else in baseball has who has the kind of star power like a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verlander, but we've seen pitchers be able to have success into their age 36 and up season. So I don't think it's really a stretch to offer Evaldi, who's entering his age 33 season, a two or three year deal. Yeah, I, I think it's realistic to assume that even if there is a drop off when he hits that age 36 range, it's not going to be massive and it's not going to be completely detrimental. Another righty who is three years younger, already mentioned Noah Syndergaard pitch for the Angels and the Phillies last year. ERA very close to Evaldi's, 394. Strikeout numbers a whole lot less and he's really reinvented himself. He used to be a strikeout guy for the Mets. He used to be one of their big, big game pick pitchers, excuse me, and then had the serious injuries, hit the free agent market last year when he was fully healthy. Good to see him rack up the innings, I think, 134 innings in a season where he really was bounced around between team to team, used pitching to contact a whole lot more than he had in previous years. So he's a much different pitcher than his days with the Mets. But that doesn't mean he can't be effective. Yeah, and I think the narrative around Noah Syndergaard is pretty interesting because we all just have this image in our head of what Noah Syndergaard was with the Mets, which is this guy who's going to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. He's going to strike a ton of people out. Yeah, He's going to be flashy and exciting. He's going to be a dominant pitcher. Still has the hair. Still has the hair, and it's pretty cool. But Noah Syndergaard is not that guy anymore. And I think most people view him as bad now because he's just not as dominant as he was early on in his career but he's far from bad he is still a good starting pitcher in this league his sinker as you mentioned he's reinvented himself doesn't throw that 100 mile an hour fastball anymore his sinker according to Statcast, when you look at run values his sinker has a better run value last year than his 100 mile an hour fastball ever had So his sinker has turned into a really good pitch. We have seen the Orioles try to implement that sinker-cutter combo with a lot of their pitchers currently in the rotation. I think he would make a lot of sense from a fit perspective there. I think a lot of his pitches and how effective he is, especially with that sinker, line up well with what the Orioles are trying to do in their rotation. Yeah, and you you look at the Kyle Gibson signing, and Gibson indicated in his press conference, Zoom press conference with uh, members of the Baltimore media that the Orioles infield defense, the Orioles moved back left field wall are all factors that he considered. And he said they were definitely part of the pitch that the Orioles made to him. So I'm thinking they're probably going to make a similar pitch if they want to get Noah Syndergaard and say, look, if you want to keep pitching to soft contact like you have been doing, this is the place to do it. Yep. We're going to have Gunnar Henderson in the infield. We have a gold glove winner at third base. So you can pitch effectively here. And I think that is a good pitch to make as evidence with Kyle Gibson. However, Syndergaard is going to cost more than Kyle Gibson. And I think that he would also probably profile as a an opening day guy. Yeah. Because you don't want to throw Grayson Rodriguez in 
to his first ever starter on opening day. You know, maybe Gray Rod will be an opening day starter long term, but for right now, Gray Rod's probably going to be your two or three. Syndergaard, I think, still has the ability to take the ball in the first game of the season, oh, and you feel confident with it. Yeah, and Syndergaard, I, th- I think it will be appealing to a guy like Noah Syndergaard for him to come to a rotation where the Orioles could say, hey, you're going to be the guy. Yeah. Like, Noah Syndergaard That's- can still be a guy somewhere. He had a 394 ERA last year, again, on a Phillies team with a very bad defense, and that 394 ERA would have been the best on the Orioles outside of Dean Kramer, and if you want to throw Austin Voth in there as well. Yeah. He was only asked to go once through the order in playoff games when he was pitching with the Phillies in October. However, I think that's a problem you think about. You cross that bridge when you get to it. And like we've said a million times, the Orioles rotation will look look a whole lot different by season's end than it will at the start of the season. You're going to have John Means back. You may have a very good rookie season from Grayson Rodriguez. Maybe D.L. Hall will turn into somebody. So get to the playoffs first. And he's proven to be a good regular season pitcher. And that's something that Michael Elias mentioned. I asked him, Flex, in the, at winter meetings, if it was part of the pitch to use the opening day chip as one of the things that you bring up with free agents. So he said he's mentioned it with a couple of guys, the ability to be an opening day starter. It doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, it's not doesn't have monetary value, but it is a nice little feather to have in your cap. Yeah, and again, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, it you can be disappointed that they didn't bring in Bassett or Stripling or Sean Manaya, but if they come out of this offseason with Noah Syndergaard, Noah Syndergaard or Nathan Avaldi, and then by three quarters of the way through the season, the top three in your rotation is Means, Syndergaard, Greyrod. Yeah then you would look back at this offseason and say, yeah, they got the guy they needed to get. So if Noah Syndergaard at the beginning of his career with the Mets was like the Thor in Thor the Dark World. and You're going somewhere with this. The beginning, you know, Thor the Avengers and stuff. Is the now Noah Syndergaard like Thor from Thor Love and Thunder? Like from Ragnarok? I'd rather say Ragnarok because Ragnarok was a great movie. It was a great movie, but it, you know, it didn't hit the same notes that the originals did. It hit the different notes. He was a different... It he changed was a, up, it did. He was a changed man. Sure. And if you've seen Love and Thunder, like I saw in the airplane coming back from San Diego... Flex. ...that he, he's he's a different guy. I think it's an apt... I'm just saying, if the Orioles sign Noah Syndergaard, I'm giving Rockabaco or Steve Molesky a, a great piece. Sure. Great comparison to make. Yeah, if you say so. you got to watch the Marvel Library. All right. Those two guys in Evaldi and Syndergaard probably represent the only kind of opening day starters left on the market. Is there anybody else that we should be throwing into this mix, Brendan? Trades. Trades. I mean, we we talked about the trades on the last podcast. Obviously, Corbin Burns, Pablo Lopez, those guys would start on opening day. Yeah. The only other starter on the free agent market that I looked at and said you could start on opening day was Corey Kluber. Not necessarily because Corey Kluber is the caliber of an opening day starter in this league, but he is still a good starting pitcher. He's still probably a number three or a number four in a rotation. He's got some Cy Youngs. Yeah, and he's a multiple-time Cy Young winner. Yeah. So if you are kind of going into the season with a rotation with no clear opening day guy, you would probably go with the veteran with a bunch of Cy Youngs. Yeah. So Corey Kluber, I think, could be an opening day starter more as a, 
legacy thing than a you're a number one. So Kluber last year with the Rays went 10 and 10, 4-3-4 ERA. Again, he he is a different pitcher than he was at the beginning of his career, much like Syndergaard. Yeah. But he has pitched into he's 37. Yep. So entering he, his age 37 season. So I mean, he has been incredibly effective. I mean, if if Syndergaard or Evaldi is as good as Kluber was last year, when they're 36, that would be incredibly impressive. And I think that Kluber is somebody that, I think Evaldi, I think Syndergaard, you're probably going to have to go two, maybe three years. I think there is a chance if you give him a very high average annual amount that you could get Kluber for one or two years. Yeah, I mean, in 2021, he had an ERA around 380. So he's still a good starting pitcher. And he took a one-year deal with Tampa. Right. So you could get Kluber, say, on a two-year deal with an option after the first year. And he has had significant injuries, like the center guard that we discussed, but he was very healthy last year. Healthiest he's been since 2018. So I don't think I'd be jumping for joy at Corey Kluber if that's the starting pitcher that you bring in to complement the Kyle Gibson addition. But it's still a quality addition to the starting rotation. Yeah. All right, let's talk about some bats that are left out there, Brendan. A couple guys still in our free agent bracket. Michael Brantley, 36 years old. Now, again, doesn't have the Houston connection with Mike Elias because Elias left, Brantley came over to Houston. He was still productive last year before he got hurt. 65 games hit 288, 785 OPS, 1.3 war according to baseball reference, 64 games, excuse me. Then he had right shoulder surgery. He's an outfielder. He's never played first base. I think if the Orioles are getting another bat, they would like him to be able to play first base. But there's no telling, there's no saying Brantley can't play first base. And they already have a couple guys who can play first base that they just signed. Yeah, I don't know if first base is going to be as big of a priority as we maybe thought it was going to be. When we talked with Mike Elias at winter meetings and he was asked about the backup first baseman position, Kind of went, well, I mean, Mountcastle is going to play a lot of games at first base. Right. And he's going to DH a lot. I, I don't you, think you need a backup first baseman to play a lot of games well, this you, year. You also have Lewin Diaz. Yeah, and you have Franchi claimed, Cordero. You have Franchi Cordero. Um, you have two guys right there who probably won't, you know, if you sign a Michael Brantley, both those guys could make the, you know, you could keep both Lewin Diaz and Michael Brantley yeah, and on the roster. Play them for like a combined 40 games and there's your backup first base. Exactly. Back. Yeah. Michael Brantley. Throw Adley in there occasionally if you need to. I love the Brantley fit. I said it when we were doing the free agency bracket. I said it at the beginning of the off season. I will say it again now. I mean, he immediately comes in and becomes probably your number two hitter. He is consistently a he, he's going to hit 300 with an 800 OPS and a really good on base percentage and hit 30 doubles and 10 homers even after the shoulder surgery probably it's Michael Brantley we've At said this 36. about Michael Brantley for like six years and he just keeps doing it right so I think Michael Brantley would be a fantastic fit he'd be a great top of the lineup bat he's not really a middle of the lineup guy because he doesn't have a ton of power but he could slot in pretty easily as your two hitter you could have some combination of two and three with Adley Rutschman and Michael Brantley. Dude's just a professional hitter, and he would be, I think, an excellent fit. I think he would be a good veteran presence as well. I think you would feel very good about having him in the clubhouse. I think he checks a lot of boxes. I don't know how much he's going to make 
the shoulder surgery kind of throws a wrench into this whole conversation. I think, though, it makes him much more affordable for the Orioles. And I think that if the Orioles are willing to go for that amount of money, which is probably going to be, what, 15 a year at the way this, this market is going? I think a lot of these guys fit into the 15 a year range. He's 36 years old. You get him for a year or two. I think he, he checks a lot of boxes for you. Yeah. I, I think he checks a lot of the right ones because he's not going to cost a ton. He's a good left-handed bat. You don't need him to play the outfield. He can DH most of the time. I think he just is a perfect fit. So there's another guy here, Brandon Belt, who is actually a year younger than Michael Brantley, but has seemed to age a whole lot faster. Played for the San Francisco Giants his entire career. Does have first base in his bag. He is a good defensive first baseman, or at least was for you know the majority of his career. 213 average last year, eight homers, 676 OPS. Did still have a positive war in 78 games last year, but he was he has had a very productive career. Didn't fall off a cliff last year, but his production took a significant dip in his age 34 season. He kind of fell off a cliff last year. It depends on whether or not you think that was just a down year that he's going to bounce back from, or if that was kind of the end of the road for Brandon Belt in terms of his productive play. Had a 975 OPS in 2021. As you mentioned, that jumps down to 676. So that's a 300-point drop in OPS. Yeah, it's huge. It's a big drop-off. So a lot fewer games, a lot fewer games. It just depends on what you're buying from Brandon belt. Are you buying a bounce back or do you think that last year is a sign of things to come? It could be a low risk, high reward kind of signing play him for again, around 60, 70 games as a backup first baseman DH type. Maybe he gets that OPS back up to close to what it was in 2021. Some people are mentioning Mancini. We'll touch on him in a little bit. We'll touch on Ben Intendi. Saw some comments about that as well. I like Brandon Belt because he is a lefty first baseman and can't play the outfield, which I think hurts his value quite a lot, but could DH for you unless he's not hitting. If he's not hitting, if he gives you another 676 OPS, he's going to have to be your backup first baseman, and that's it because yep. Santander is a better DH, and you want to get you know better defense in the outfield. Yep. So I like Brandon Belt if he's going to cost probably, I mean, most I would go for Brandon Belt is nine mil for a year. I wasn't even, yeah, like six, seven. It's tough because he was a consistent two to two and a half war player for the majority of his career. And then he has last year. Yeah. And maybe we'll see something similar. Look at Matt Carpenter last year, who was a career Cardinal, looked like his career was going down you know, the wrong way, signs with the Yankees, has a great resurgent season. Matt Carpenter, that's another name too. That is another name. Can play first base, probably can't play a corner outfield, probably don't want him at third base, good left-handed hitting power hitter. It's a possibility. It is a possibility. I don't, what, he signed a minor league deal last year? Yeah, signed a minor league deal with the Yankees last year. Obviously played very, very well. I don't think he's going to command a ton of money. Probably a one-year deal somewhere. Wouldn't be surprised if he wants to go somewhere a little higher, play for a contender more than likely. Injuries were a factor as well. Injuries were an issue. 36. Terrible in the playoffs when he came back. Right. Although that didn't have a whole large sample size one and also didn't have a lot of time to ramp himself back up. No, but he did strike out in like every (laughs) at-bat. Yikes. So that wasn't good. Uh, 
Trey Mancini, we'll touch on real quick. We had him in our free agency bracket as well. Congratulations to Trey Mancini, by the way. Yeah. Just got married. Just got married. He and Sarah Perlman tying the knot. In terms of his value on this Orioles team, we saw it for the first half of the season. However, the Orioles have made it clear they want a lefty. I think that is a big factor here. But if his price is doable enough, I don't think that they will, you know, they've written him off entirely. No, I wouldn't say they have. But I think also if you're Trey Mancini, you're a right-handed hitting power guy. And look, the new left field wall is going to attract pitchers and it is going to attract left-handed hitters because you still kind of... It's not a short porch out and right, but this ballpark is a lot better for left-handed hitting power guys. And probably if you're Trey Mancini, whose game not hinges on his power, but power is a big part of his game, if you sign in Baltimore, your power numbers aren't going to look great as a right-handed hitting power guy. I mean, he he saw it, literally. Right. So, (laughs) like, what does that do for him in his future? Right. And, like, his future contracts and his, his just his numbers in general... He's not going to hit a lot of home runs here to left field. Yeah. We saw it with him. We saw it with Ryan Mountcastle. That's just kind of the nature of the beast right now. He's going to have to sign most likely a one, maybe two-year deal, and he's, which means he's going to be hitting the free agent market again. And if he's only going to be hitting 15 homers or 20 homers, that doesn't look as good on his resume. And people will consider the park factor, certainly. Teams aren't you know, they are privy to all this information. However, he would like to have a little bit better counting stats, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other guy that was mentioned, Andrew Benintendi, played for the Yankees in that postseason run, although he did get hurt as well. Another guy that they traded for, played for the Royals at the beginning half of the season. He's only 28. He's been around, but it, it feels like he should be at least 30, but he's only 28 years old. Career year hit 304 with five homers, 772 OPS. He was an all-star, 3.2 war, lefty, corner outfield, can play center, great glove in a corner outfield spot. Spot track is projecting him to make $17.4 million average annual value. If the Orioles are willing to go that amount of money, I think he makes a lot of sense like Brantley does. Yeah, two things, though, with Andrew Benintendi. First, you're going to have to pay probably upwards of $80 million at least, 80 to $100 million more than likely. Second thing... You mean he, he's going to command a lot of years because yeah. he's 28 years old. Yeah, he's probably going to get like 5 for 80 or 5 for 100 or somewhere in that range, I would guess. Second thing is that if you're signing Andrew Benintendi, then you are signing a starting outfielder. Right. I think if you're signing Brantley, you're probably signing a starting DH. But Benintendi is going to need to start for you in the outfield if you're giving him that amount of years, that amount of money, because he's just going to be like, he's going to be the most expensive player on the roster. And he is better defensively than an Anthony Santander. So if you're fine with putting Santander at DH every single day, then sure, go after Benintendi, but he's got to start somewhere. Yeah, and this sheer amount of years that you're giving up, that you're you know, offering him, would hamper your ability to have a Colton Kowser come up, with again, would be secondary if you're getting a player of the caliber of Benintendi, but also, that was a career year for Benintendi. And are you banking on five more career years? He was also good in Boston. He had a, he was he had good a bit in Boston. of a, he was good in Boston, had a bit of a downturn. Right. And then started to get better in Kansas City. I don't think Ben Intendi makes sense, to be perfectly honest. I don't think giving somebody 
four or five years to be a starting outfielder makes sense when you have three quality starting outfielders right now, and then you have Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, Heston Kerstad. There's just too many good players, both already at the major league level and in the system, to justify giving the money that you could spend somewhere else to Benintendi. If his price drops dramatically, maybe. Sure. Another Boston Red Sox, well, former Boston Red Sox, J.D. Martinez, 35 years old, pretty much at this point exclusive, exclusively a DH, has, of course, played the outfield in his career, but at this point, he's pretty slow out there. Yeah, don't, don't think he really definitely wanna, don't want him in left field. Yeah, don't don't want him really playing in the field at all at this point. Still really productive, you know. Five time All Star uh, in his career, and last year he hit two seventy four with sixteen homers and a seven ninety OPS. Was very healthy, very productive. Is it worth signing a DH? He's a better right handed Brantley. JD Martinez is going to come in and give you twenty homers, eight fifty OPS, hit forty doubles. He's really, really good. It's whether or not the Orioles want to sign a right-handed power bat. Yeah. I think he makes sense. Love to bring in a pretty much permanent DH with a great power bat. Does it make sense as a right-hander? I don't know. 35 years old means he's not going to get five years like a Benintendi would, but hitting from the right side of the plate, the the thing is he's just, you, you are going to play 81 of your games on the road. So, you know, that, he, he is going to be able to drive the ball out of the ballpark from the right side in at least 81 games. And he still is very productive at this point, and you can get him for one or two years. I like him. I think the Orioles might be priced out of a, a J.D. Martinez market. I think he makes a ton of sense. I just don't see it happening. That's just kind of how it is with some of these guys. Could you play him at first base? Probably. Yeah, probably could. I think it'd be worth it, but he's not a platoon. No. With Mountcastle. He's just very good. Yep. Uh, another guy who I think the Orioles will be priced out of, Michael Conforto. 30 years old, hit 232 with 14 homers and a 729 OPS. The last time he played, however, he has not played since 2021. He hit the free agent market, declined the Mets qualifying offer at that point, then injured his shoulder in January of this year, had shoulder surgery, in late April of this year, missed the entire season because he had that qualifying offer draft pick compensation attached. May have been part of the reason he didn't sign. It's been a while since he's played, but I think teams, the way things are going, the, the amount of money that the Mets handed Brandon Nimmo, I think Michael Conforto is going to get paid somewhere. Yeah, it depends on the years and the money for Michael Conforto. It's really hard to tell what he is going to get in this free agent market. I think if Conforto is looking for a two or three year deal, then you would go after somebody like that. I think it would make sense. But again, if he is going to get a Benintendi type of contract of four or five years, same argument. I don't think it makes sense given the talent that you already have at the big league level, given the talent that you have down at the minor league system. Yeah. And it's a big risk injury wise, just because you don't know exactly what he's going to look like after that shoulder surgery. Joey Gallo, Brandon. Woo. Joey Gallo. Yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Look, I, I would love bringing in Joey Gallo. I think it makes all the sense in the world. He is... All the sense in the world? Yeah. I mean, look, he's incredibly frustrating at times. He is a three true outcome baseball player. In 2021, 
He led the American League in both walks and strikeouts. And he has had multiple seasons of 40-plus home runs. He's entering his age 29 season, has had a very well-documented rough go of it in two big markets in L.A. and New York. Also, side note, I don't know what the thinking was there in terms of like, oh, Joey Gallo do a lot better in the L.A. market than the New York market. It's not a big I difference. think they were trying to buy low at that point. Right. I don't think they were necessarily. But that's exactly what the Orioles would be doing. You would be bringing in Joey Gallo to a buy low, low pressure type of situation, probably not a ton of money. And Joey Gallo could hit 40 home runs in Baltimore. It feels like the, if he gets everyday playing time. Dude would pepper Utah Street. Pepper it. He would pepper <laughs> he it. He might even salt it a little bit. He might. See how spicy he gets. Yeah, throw some old bay on that. But like, he might hit like 215 and strike out 7,000 times. 215? But he's also going to walk a lot. What is and this? he's going to hit a lot of home runs. A 50-point jump in batting average? He went from 159. Look, he was bad in 2022. So he, he hit 159 yeah. with 12 homers and a 621 OPS, which to hit 159 and still have a 621 OPS is pretty impressive. Yeah. And then... To hit 162 in 82 games with the LA Dodgers with seven home runs and a seven a 671 OPS in 44 games for them. Um, sorry, 80, 82 games with the Yankees, 60, 44 games with the Dodgers. Joshua with a good point. With the shift <laughs> ban, he might hit 230. Joey Gallo has gotten killed by the shift. He has. Look, I think it makes a ton of sense. You're not going to be incurring a lot of risk because you're not going to be paying him that much money. And if he turns into a semblance of the player that he was in Texas, that's an incredibly good, very valuable player. That's what the Dodgers convinced convinced themselves. Also, at what point do we think, do we take away the fact of big market and just say at this point he's just well, look, not it's a very productive It's not player. age. I mean, he's entering his it's, age 29 no, not season. Age. <laughs> so... I can't imagine that he just forgot how to play baseball. It feels like a discount Cody Bellinger. It for is. This market. It's the same thing. Like there's no way that a guy on the right side of 30 just forgot how to play baseball. Like there's something going on. There is something that you can fix, adjust, whatever it may be to get back to close to the player that they were before. Like, I'm just not, I'm not going to be convinced that he just forgot how to play baseball unless he's like 37 and falling off. I think the only question is how big of a discount does he come at? Because we said the same thing about Bellinger. We said Bellinger is going to be a buy low option. Then he costs 17.5 million. If Gallo is going to be 12, 13 mil, that's not really buy low. I I still think it might be (laughs) it 12 or 13 million a year for Joey Gallo. Like if, if Joey Gallo gets two for 24 and you get a 200 hitter who hits 30 home runs, plays gold glove defense in right field. I would be very reticent about giving him more than one year. I would give him one year. And I think it it is an okay gamble to make if he's going to cost in that $12 million range. Yeah. But it's you have to accept that if he gives you the production he gave the Yankees and Dodgers last year, that's not a good use. That's not a good allocation of $12 million. No, but that's not a massive risk. $12 million. That's not a ton. It's not a ton, but you would rather use that on that that player. You're not getting an incredibly productive player for $12 million if he gives you what he gave those teams last year. If 
the Orioles come out of this offseason, which more than likely they won't. We haven't heard anything connecting them to Joey Gallo. If they come out of this offseason without another starting pitcher on the high end of things and they opt to give Joey Gallo like $15 million, then I think you can be like, hey, I probably would have rather spent that $15 million on On somebody else. Yeah. But if it's in conjunction with other quality moves and this is just kind of a swing, absolutely. Speaking of swing, (laughs) he's got some swing issues. Uh, He's going to cost $9 million a year according to average annual value according to Spotrack. Spotorak. Spotoransky. That's it. I would probably do that. Yeah, absolutely. I would probably do that. Because best case scenario, you buy low, he hits 40 bombs, and you have a gold glove right fielder. Yeah, that's best case scenario. Yeah, that'd be awesome. What's worst case scenario? He's shown it before is the thing, though. (laughs) Like, he has shown that he can be that baseball player. What's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is he does exactly what he did in New York, and he's just not good. (laughs) And that's a bummer. Yeah. But you tried. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's get off Joey Gallo, because he is incredibly... uh, uh, divisive, I think, as a player. And yeah. boy, if the Orioles sign him, I can't wait to see the uh, the reaction from the fan base. I think you're going to get people on both sides of the aisle coming out. Yeah. All right. Uh, Michael Waka, another pitcher. Very good counting stats last year. 11-2 record, 3-2-3 ERA, 7.4 strikeouts per nine and 23 starts. I do think he's a bit of a regression candidate. Yeah, that's a buy-high guy. Yeah which you don't want to... You mentioned on the last podcast, the Orioles have been good at not buying high. Mm -hmm. They are not like the Angels. They have not just been buying players at peak value. Michael Waka had a 332 ERA last year. In his previous three years, had a 511. That's a buy high. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that some team will probably pay him. I don't think it's going to be the Orioles because I think the Orioles would rather buy somebody a little bit lower and get more production, more bang for their buck than what you're getting. Although, you know, I mentioned opening day starters. Waka would probably be an opening day starter. Probably. Uh, That guy had three, two, three ERA. Yeah. And who else? uh, The problem is who else would you start? Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer? I I, I don't know. Kyle Bradish? Tyler Wells? Kyle Gibson? Kyle Gibson is probably not going to start opening day. I'll go ahead and say that. You never know. Uh, Corey Dickerson, 34 years old, entering his age 34 season, uh, played for the Cardinals last year, hit 267 with six homers, OPS a tick under 700, a cool 0.0 war, according to baseball reference. Yeah. Checks the boxes of a corner outfield lefty hitter. I'd rather play Kyle Stowers. At that point, if, but if you can get Corey Dickerson very, very cheap, I'd rather play Kyle Stowers. He's he's going to give you a 250 average, a 700 OPS. But it's it's depth at the, at the very least. Yeah, it's depth. But, I mean, do you need outfield depth? You got Kyle Stowers. You got Ryan McKenna. Colton Kowser could be up halfway through the year. I mean, the Orioles made all those moves to get outfield depth. That's why they signed Nomar Mazzara on a minor league deal. That's yeah, why but they, that's minor league depth. That's Right, but I'm saying if, if the price for Dickerson is a million, two million dollars. Sure. I think that's worth it. I suppose. I, it, I think I would just... If you're handing him five, six million dollars, I probably wouldn't do that. Yeah. I, I, my only thing with Dickerson is that if we get to halfway through the year and Corey Dickerson's getting consistent playing time, hitting 250 with like a 675 OPS, like, let's see what Kyle Stowers can do right. at that point. If you get... Yeah. That's a bridge that you cross when you get to it, though. I think because you... 
you know, if you're only giving him a million or two million dollars, you can cut him if he's not productive by July and be okay with it. Sure. You know, if you're giving him six, seven million dollars, then that's a little bit more hard to swallow at that point. But maybe his price will drop significantly. Um, Drew Smiley, another pitcher. Pretty good numbers last year. Seven and eight record, a three, four, seven ERA, uh, 7.7 strikeouts per nine in 106 innings. He is a career journeyman. And another guy like Waka, who I think will probably regress a little bit, unless there's something that he tapped into last year that the Orioles themselves can tap into. Because in the previous five years, or in the uh, in the course of his career, four six five ERA with five different teams since 2019. Yeah, he's a buy high. I don't think he's a big upgrade. He's just bounced around from team to team and was good last year for the Cubs, but yeah, he's he's fine. He's fine. And a lefty. He's fine. 34 years old. He's fine. How much higher can your voice get, Brendan? Okay. Yeah. Is there anybody else that I am forgetting here? Yeah, David Peralta. Sure. Another name. Another good left-handed bat. I think he is a little bit better than Corey Dickerson, who we mentioned. Probably good for around a 250 average, around a 725 OPS. He's kind of a power bat. He might not hit 30 home runs, but he might give you 15 to 20. He would be somebody that I would be comfortable starting over Kyle Sowers. But again, not a significant upgrade. I don't think he's a middle of the lineup kind of bat. He's probably like a six hitter. But he's a pretty good six or seven hitter. Yeah. One guy who's still on the free agent bracket, Adam Frazier. The Orioles, uh, Michael Elias has said, you know, they have talked about adding a second baseman type infielder. But... If they didn't, they would be okay with it. Yeah, we haven't talked about the second baseman a ton. We've probably been missing out on those conversations surrounding Adam Frazier, Gene Segura, those types a little bit more than we probably should be. Maybe we should be giving them more attention, but it just doesn't really sound like the Orioles are all that worried about the second base spot right now. Doesn't seem like it's very high up on the priority list. It's certainly below starting pitcher and a left-handed power bat. I think it's more of a luxury signing than a necessity. Yeah. Because you'd be fine at second base with some combination of Ramon Arias, Taron Vavra, maybe Jordan Westberg cracks the opening day roster. It's not a great combination, but I think you're fine with it, and it's certainly not at the top of the need. Yeah, I think you're, yes. you are okay with who you have in the system right now, and yeah. I think the Orioles will probably add depth at that spot. I just don't think that they'll sign one of the top guys. However, I think if they went out and did sign a Gene Segura or an Adam Frazier, I think they would make the Orioles better. Yeah, I think that, that would improve the team. Yeah. But it just depends on where they want to allocate that money. If you're giving 17, 15 mil to one of those guys, probably rather have a pitcher. Yeah, the priority point. right now isn't to replace a gold glove in Ramon Arias in an everyday lineup spot. Right. Or, or just block Jordan Westberg. Exactly. It's just not a high priority. Exactly. All right. I think we've touched on just about everybody that we need to. Yeah. If and they're going to sign somebody who we just haven't talked about. In an hour. I mean, guaranteed. Maybe in five minutes, as soon as we get off this podcast. I'm, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Yeah. We're going to have to jump right back on, and this podcast will be entirely irrelevant. Okay. Well, thanks so much for <laughs> listening, and let us know who you think the Orioles should sign. At Paul Mancano, at Brandon Morty on Twitter. Uh, watch live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Facebook and on YouTube or after the fact on the Masson app. 
and uh, listen to it. Give us a thumbs up, all that good stuff on Spotify, SoundCloud. If you were watching live today, you saw one of our lights inexplicably go blue. Yeah. We're in Avatar Way of Water, apparently. Uh, we're getting excited. Are put, you? Put on the makeup, Brendan. <laughs> what if? How I- many people do you think on opening night are going to go full blue? Well, a uh, friend of the pod, Ben McLaughlin, uh, used to have a like avatar onesie. So That's maybe one. maybe we'll bring that to the movie. Do like a Tobias Funke from Arrested Development <laughs> <laughs> and just go all blue. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. Uh, we will be back next week, maybe before then, if the Orioles make a surprise signing in the Where's meantime. The but the Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Toyota for legendary safety and reliability. Choose Toyota and let's go places and we will catch you next time.